0: sometimes it's hard to figure out what's really going on. You know what I mean? It's like, you think, you know, kind of where your life's headed, but there's something happening around you and you don't really understand what's going on. You're looking for direction in your life. I was reading a fantastic book uh, a few uh, years ago, and it was a book entitled Destiny of the Republic. And it was, it was a book about the tumultuous events that happened in 1881. Um, there was a president. His name was James Garfield. This is here he is. He was one of the most. Uh, the book opens with this words, with these words. James Garfield was one of the most extraordinary men ever elected president. Born into abject poverty, he rose to become a wonderkind scholar a Civil War hero, and a renowned and admired reformist congressman. He was nominated for president against his will. He engaged in a fierce battle with the corrupt establishment. But sadly, four months into his presidency, after his inauguration in early 1881, a deranged office seeker, here he is, Charles Guiteau, who was a religious fanatic, came to believe that he needed to end the presidency of James Garfield. He tracked Garfield down in a train station and shot him in the back. But the shot did not kill Garfield. And the drama of what happened subsequently is a very powerful story of a nation in turmoil. The unhinged assassin's half-delivered strike shattered the fragile national mood of a country so recently fractured by civil war and left the wounded president as an object of a bitter behind-the-scenes struggle for uh, power over his presidency, over the nation's future, and hauntingly over his own medical care. A team of physicians administered shockingly archaic treatments. They were trying to find the bullet that was lodged in his body. Their surgery was without um, any kind of antiseptics and he became infected. Finally, after his condition worsened, James Garfield received help. Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone, actually invented, uh, a, worked around the clock to invent a new device a metal detector capable of finding the bullet and it worked great in the laboratory but when he came to the white house and he used the metal detector to try to find what was going on and where the bullet was in james Garfield's body it didn't work it was com- all the readings were off and he was unsuccessful and a few short months later james garfield died um, there's a lot to that story and the interesting thing about this particular one is in the the reason why Alexander Graham Bell's metal detector did not work, because in the laboratory it was great perfect conditions. But in James Garfield's bed, they forgot to mention to him that James Garfield had this kind of newfangled new bed in the White House. It was a bed not with feathers, but with metal springs. So it was entirely un, uh, unsuccessful in metal detection because of all the metal, the presence of the metal springs. Something was going on below the surface that he was unaware of. And today I want to take us to the book of Revelation, which is an incredible, incredible book to a letter to the church at Pergamum. Many people are surprised by the promise of Revelation chapter one, verse three, which says, blessed are those who read this book. Blessed are those who hear this book, and blessed are those who follow the teachings of this book of prophecy. The word bless includes the idea of joy and happiness from the good hand of God. Contrast to the ways the book of Revelation is often taught, which is outlandish, and assigning Various prophecies that are coming true in our day and so forth and I understand all that and it certainly has practical application But we need to be careful about reading it in a way that wouldn't have been understood in, to the first readers This book is an was an encouragement to believers who are undergoing trials and hostility to their faith They were struggling to keep their first love at Ephesus to feel the hostility in the experience uh, experience persecution of Smyrna The empire thought the Christians were lunatics and they were facing some very serious temptations. Today, we come to return to these letters of the risen Christ to his church, the church at Pergamum. And we're gonna learn about the pathway to real joy and blessedness, to, to the pathway that will help us find our direction in a very often confusing world. The book of Revelation is not so much a crystal ball for us to peer into the future, but rather a trail guide for the rugged adventure that we're all on. So put on your seatbelt, it's gonna be a great ride. And today the messages to the seven churches in Revelation two and three, we get a glimpse of the rugged adventure that they had embarked upon. Take a look at this map guys. Um, So John has been exiled, banished for his faith. Uh, Here's Italy, Greece, Turkey, modern day Turkey. He's in the middle of the sea here on the island of Patmos. And he's written a church to Ephesus, they lost their first love to Smyrna. Keep going strong. Keep holding strong to me. Then to Pergamum is the next one. That's where we come today. Verse twelve. Write to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Thus says the one who has the sharp-edged, sharp double-edged sword. This is, um, this is strong language. All the pictures that we see of Jesus are from that vision back in chapter one. And each church gets applied a portion of the image of Jesus resurrected to their particular situation. For Pergamum, the word, the image is Jesus. The one who has the sharp double edged sword. This is a image of battle. It is image of authority. It is an image of power. And at Pergamum, they were engaged in a great spiritual battle for the soul of their church and for the soul of every believer there. And to learn just a little bit more about what Pergamum was like, I'd like to, us to turn and just check out this great video from drive Through History and Dave Stotts.
1: Our next stop is Pergamum, about 50 miles north. This is the ancient city of Pergamum. Now the recorded history of this amazing place starts in 400 BC when it was a military town for 10,000 mercenaries for Cyrus the Younger. Centuries later, it grew into the capital of the kingdom of Pergamum before it was granted to Rome in 133 BC. It then became the Roman capital of Asia province. Now by the time John wrote his seven letters, Pergamum was no longer the capital, but it was the second most important city in Asia Minor behind Ephesus. This metropolis probably had a population of over 100,000 people. Pergamum is known for this unusual two-tier acropolis where most of the temples were located. It's also home to an 80-row theater with a seating capacity of 10,000. It's known as the steepest theater in the ancient world. And if you tripped on your way out, you might just find yourself in a busted up heap at the bottom. This place is incredible, one of the most dramatic archaeological sites I have ever explored. what it probably looked like at the time of John. In the second century BC, King Eumenes II had the famous Pergamum altar constructed here. It was one of the largest altars in the ancient world. Incredibly, German archeologists in the late 19th century removed the entire altar structure from its location at ancient Pergamum and transported it piece by piece to Berlin, Germany. It was rebuilt in a massive museum, which was appropriately named the Pergamum Museum. The museum was fortified throughout the two world wars, and the Pergamum Altar survived a number of aerial bombings. It is said that Adolf Hitler saw great power, even supernatural power, in pagan artifacts
0: like this. This was a very tough place to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, the... the, uh, the paganism, the values were so counter to the kingdom of Jesus. And guys, um, Pergamum was unique in that it wasn't the capital of the empire, but it really was the religious spiritual center of all of Asia Minor. This is where the worship of the emperor hit its absolute peak. They had been able to build one of the first uh, temples to the emperor. Now, just to give you a little feel for the high regard of the emperor's power and authority and even deity in the ancient world. This is what was said of Caesar Caesar Augustus a few years before about what he he was uh, perceived to be. Check out the language that's used to describe the emperor. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new outlook. Caesar, the coming good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the beginning of the year. Whereas the providence, which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection, giving to us the emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as savior, put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifest, appearing as God, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world, the beginning of good news. It's the same word gospel, the beginning of the gospel concerning him. Wow, that is quite a high standing. And the poet Horace wrote it this way of him. Thine age, O Caesar, has brought back fertile crops to the fields, has wiped away our sins, and revived the ancient virtues. And the fame and majesty of our empire were so spread from the sun's bed in the west to the east. As long as Caesar is the guardian of of the state, neither civil conflict nor violence shall banish peace. He's gonna bring peace on earth. I mean, wow. Now are you getting a little bit of flavor of what the believers were up against? They were surrounded by people who worshiped the emperor as God. He was God to them. And also all the other gods and goddesses. They had so many temples. They had so many altars to the Zeus at the very peak. Now Pergamum also had a unique trait in that it was very unusual for Rome to grant a certain authority to any city. And the authority granted to Pergamum unique really in most cities in the Roman empire was the authority to execute people, to, to uh, carry out capital punishment. Normally Rome didn't allow cities to do this, but they allowed Pergamum to do this. So you can imagine the intense power that now the civil authorities have against the Christians in those first years. We can think of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world suffering under the persecution and the hostility of of completely anti-Christian leaders of all, at all levels. And that's what they were experiencing. So at this point, if you're looking for direction in the first century, I mean, the culture around you and the power of the sword of Caesar is immense. It, It can be very frightening if you're a follower of Jesus but they have to come to a question, who is my ultimate authority? Uh, so here, here's in your, I got a little chart there for you to fill in if you could, is, is who has the clout in my soul? Who bears the greatest authority in my life? And the question is, who has the final say in my life? For a lot of us, it's not really a big temptation to you know, worship the emperor, but there are pressures against all of us that we feel that we feel like peer pressure, or we feel other people wanting us to do something that we know is not what God wants us to do, not to put him first, not to worship Jesus. And those temptations really say, who do I really trust? Yeah, I might experience some punishment from these people over here, and in some parts of the world, even death. But I ask myself when facing those things, who really has the final say in my life? and the Bible over and over again declares, this is the essence of the Christian confession, that Jesus is Lord. Whereas the culture said no, Caesar is Lord. The Christians had a unique perspective and said Caesar is put there in place by God to fulfill the purposes that God has in the big scheme of things. But ultimately Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. For many people, just on a daily basis, I want to ask you to wake up in the morning and say, who do I really believe is Lord? Who do I, who has the final say in my life and given this situation and that situation in this situation, who has the final say in my life? I don't want you to take this to extremes. I want you to stay majoring on the majors, but I want you to think about your life. When those pressures come to ask yourself this question, the direction of my life depends on my believing and living, Jesus is Lord. But keep going. Verse 13. Second question we're gonna come to in a few minutes. "'I know where you live,' says Jesus to the church at Pergamum. "'I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, "'yet you are holding on to my name, "'and you did not deny your faith in me, "'even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, "'who was put to death among you, where Satan lives.'" Wow. That is strong language. What's going on here? Well, you know, in America, we have cities and they're instantly recognizable by the iconic statue or some landmark that we see. For example, here we go. Where is this? We all know New York City. Where's this? This is St. Louis, right? Keep going. This is San Francisco. This is Seattle. We instantly know this is Des Moines, Iowa. This is Spaceship House in Urbandale, and this is, of course, West Des Moines. Uh, Pretty easy when the water tower tells you that. Um, But guys, there was something about Pergamum that instantly was recognizable. And Jesus says it's where Satan's throne is, where Satan lives. Wow. I mean, that's evil. So evil. And Pergamum was kind of like uh, a religious... Las Vegas, if you can imagine this. It's hard to get that in your mind, but like Las Vegas, you know, what happens here stays here. That's what they say. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. Come here and do whatever you want to do and no one will ever know. That's what Pergamum was like, check it out. Pergamum was a place where there was temple prostitution, where there was all sorts of people. They would come into the temples and seriously, it was people were worshiping snakes, rolling around on the floor with the snakes. Um, This was a part of their worship experience. It's hard for us to gather. There was gods and goddesses, priests and priestesses, all sorts of immorality connected to the worship, the religious gatherings. It's hard for us to get our head around that, but that's what was happening in Pergamum. The ancient world had very low bar standards for morals, for honesty, for generosity, wasn't expected. For sexual morality, it was felt that people were just gonna do what they're gonna do. Especially, it was particularly promiscuous among men. And that was, they just looked the other way. It's okay, whatever you want to do, whatever you wanna be. And this is the way it was in Pergamum. It was a very difficult place to be. This is the altar. Of, of, of Pergamum, it's actually been relocated, you heard early in the video, to Berlin. And it's, it's sobering to think about um, welcoming in the city of Berlin in the late um, 1800s, just before the start of two world wars, that they actually welcomed in um, basically the throne of Satan because the throne of Satan, check it out here, it, it refers either to the actual temple of Zeus which is over here, uh, way over here, or you the altar of Zeus right here, or it refers to this whole Acropolis, this whole complex. The altar of Zeus was what was relocated. It's, it's like welcoming people. And, and you think about, guys, just for a moment, you think about what happened in the years following inviting basically the altar, the throne of Satan into your city. That's what happened. And I, I'm, I'm not going to get real crazy on you here, but guys, if you welcome the spiritual forces of darkness into your, into your life or into your city, and you say, here, we're going to have a throne right here for Satan, what Jesus calls Satan, because this was the epicenter of pagan anti-Christian worship. So, guys, the principle here, the question here, is that, is that we're going to face all sorts of cultural pressures. Here, uh, by the way, here's a great, let's go back to that. This is a great um, artist rendering of what it would have been like packed out people everywhere. It was spectacular. It is spectacular now and it's all in ruins. It would have been unbelievably staggeringly spectacular and people would be drawn to this because of the majesty, because of the beauty of it, um, and the deception of it all to lure people into a false hope in the emperor, false hope in these gods and goddesses who could bless your life. And the gospel is just saying, no, they're not true, they're, they're, those are false. Believe in Jesus, believe in what he can do. There's, there, here's, here's what I'm talking about. We face cultural pressures, you face cultural pressures in your own world to compromise your values, to give in when life is hard, to give way to greed or give way to sexual immorality, to, to give way to dishonesty to compromise your faith here and there in entertainment or just in your daily life and walk, to give way to anger. There's so much rage in our culture now. These are pressures that we face. And instead of saying, I'm just gonna go with the flow, I'm just gonna jump in the tide of this, just just like those people at Pergamum felt, we stand strong in Jesus. And we ask ourselves this question, will I choose faithfulness when it's difficult? Now in their city, they'd actually had one of their leaders killed. Antipas, a faithful witness of Jesus Christ was actually killed in the city of Pergamum. And we don't know if this was because of mob violence against Christians or if it was actually an act of the government who had the authority to uh, carry out capital punishment. But they looked at him as a traitor because he would not worship the emperor. They looked at him as an atheist who did not worship all the gods and goddesses. And he, he, to, to, to them, he was a troublemaker. And they persecuted him. Eventually, they killed this leader. And just think about this. Somebody in your church gets killed for being a faithful follower of Jesus. And you come to that question, will I choose faithfulness when it's difficult? It gets, real, it gets very real there, guys. This is, this is not some theoretical concept. And it's, it's not like difficulty um, that we might think about. It's serious business. And what we need to ask ourselves: Will I will I choose faithfulness when it's difficult? Because Jesus is trustworthy; he's he can be trusted. Now, I know we always talk about the difficulties in our world, and you know this rare photo here is of the um, the route that our parents traveled to and from school every single day. This is the one that they told us about, right? We know that that wasn't really difficult, but guys. Um, Life can can be difficult and there can feel immense pressures upon us and our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world feel this even more acutely. But we need to stand strong. We need to say, I'm gonna follow Jesus even when it's not popular, even when it's not what everybody else is doing, even when it conflicts with my own desires and my own flesh, my own heart. I have to be careful of trusting my own heart because my heart can be deceived. Jeremiah says the heart apart from Jesus is desperately wicked. So I need to be careful of that. Um, and instead of granting people, the people that are not going to last forever, the people that will come and go in our lives, some kind of great authority in our lives, we need to trust that Jesus is the one that we're going to follow. Always came across a great quote this way, week and said, people are in your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. Don't put seasonal people in lifetime seats. I think that's a great word. They're so easy for us to just go along for a moment to compromise our faith in Jesus uh, and to make people that are just seasonal people happy. And instead, we we don't wanna do that. We wanna put Jesus as Lord and follow him with integrity, with keeping our word, with um, following his his, uh, commands in every way and asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us each new day. Now, faithfulness to Jesus in our day means bearing witness to Jesus Christ in all seasons of our life. That includes now. So guys, um, I saw somebody talk about uh, loving our enemies, doing good to those who persecute us, blessing and not cursing. We need to keep doing that at all times. Somebody said, loving your enemies is not a tactic that we take until times are hard or difficult. Loving our enemies is a value we hold deeply no matter what. And so I just want to remind you about a couple of opportunities to greatly bless our community. Many of them, just our neighbors, good folks around us that live around us, but to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to build bridges. We talk about all the time here at Valley. We do good works to build goodwill, to have opportunities to share the good news. Love you, Des Moines Days is coming up. Get signed up, volunteer for that. It's just simple ways in 200 different types of activities to show the love of Jesus, to build friendships, to show our community that we care. Because for so many people, when they hear Christian today, 2000 years after the fact, they have many misperceptions, just like they did in the first century. And we need to overcome those misperceptions. Peter said, live such good lives among the locals that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good works and glorify God on the day He visits them. He shows up. And because of the kindness, because of the the willingness to befriend people, no matter what their views are, what their life is, or what they believe and how they disagree with us, we just love them because we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. Be the kind of neighbor you would want to be. That's difficult in Pergamum. 2,000 years ago, coming up in October 6th and 7th is our amazing national conference on neighboring and evangelism. Guys, you will not have a greater opportunity to learn from some of the nation's greatest leaders on the gospel and on neighboring and on sharing your faith than what's gonna come right here to Valley Church. I, I, I really plead with you to sign up for that uh, and to, to make that a part of your planning right now it out in your schedule Thursday, October 6, late afternoon into the evening, and then all day Friday. It's going to be amazing. Bob Goff, Rebecca McLaughlin, Hosanna Wang, uh, Matthew Stanford, and about 15 other fantastic national level speakers. This really, they're going to tell us how to live as faithful Christians in this culture. And I can't think of a better way to spend a little over 24 hours in making a huge impact on your life please please get signed up okay we keep going verse we're trying to be faithful witnesses to jesus and it's pressure filled it reminds me a little bit of the scene if you w- if you remember uh in the original star wars when they end up somehow the three heroes and heroine of the uh of star wars end up in a garbage compactor check it out
1: must have happened to them. See if they've been captured. Hurry. One thing's for sure, we're all going to be a lot thinner. Get on top of it. I'm trying. Thank goodness they haven't found them. Where could they be? Use the com link. Oh my. I forgot. I turned it off. Oh. Are you there, sir? 3PO? We've had some problems. Will you shut up and listen to me? Shut down all the garbage mashers on the detention level, will you? The you copy? Shut down all the garbage mashers on the detention level! Oh. Shut down all the garbage mashers on the
0: detention level! No! Shut them all down! Hurry! <laughs>
1: They're dying, aren't you? Curse my metal body. I wasn't fast enough. It's all of my fault. My poor master. We're all right. We're all right. You did great. Hey, open the pressure maintenance. Where are we? Three, two, six,
0: three,
1: eight, two, seven.
0: So the good news is they, the walls don't crush them. The bad news is they're still sitting in a pile of garbage. And that's kind of what Pergamum people were feeling. They had survived somehow. They, they had not they had held on to their faith. They, they did not compromise their faith. That's what that verse says. But they were still feeling pressure. And look what it says in verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites, to eat meat, sacrifice to idol, and to commit sexual immorality. So, this background here is from the book of Numbers. Balaam was a prophet who basically was a prophet for hire. You could just pay him and he tell you whatever you want him to. And he was a false prophet. Eventually he was unsuccessful. He could not curse Israel, but he got them to instead compromise with a foreign nation and to commit um, all sorts of idolatry, worshiping false gods, and also to commit immorality with uh, others in their community that they were trying to uh, stay holy and walking with Jesus. But he he caused them to lead them into this kind of immorality he says in verse 15 in the same way you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans so repent otherwise I will come to you and quickly fight against them with the sword of my mouth here's what I learned if Satan can't crush the church by frightening them having leaders executed he won't he'll stop trying to crush the church and he'll just join the church that's what he did here He had false prophets infiltrate the church and to weaken the church from within. And these Nicolaitans, who were guilty of this uh, same kind of thing Balaam was doing, they were telling people what their itching ears wanted to hear. And they were saying it was okay, you know, these pagan rituals, we don't need to worry about, we can participate with them, just, you know, everybody stay cool and we'll just go along with all this. We can eat the meat sacrificed to idols, even though it's connected directly to the pagan worship that was going on. They said it didn't matter. And you know what? Doesn't, God doesn't really care who you sleep with. That's just your body, your soul is what matter. And it doesn't sound vaguely contemporary to you. I mean, it, it's just the same thing. Uh, history, uh, Satan is not real creative. He knows what our weaknesses are. And so here's, here's the, this. it's uh, biblically and theologically, we call this concept of mixing kind of one a group of ideas with conflicting Christian ideas is called syncretism. Check this out. Here's a good kind of syncretism. You mix peanut butter and chocolate, and it's fantastic. It's Reese's peanut butter cups. I love them, and they're amazing. But here's a bad kind of syncretism. It's when you mix household cleaning products together and you get toxic fumes. That's what was going on in Pergamum. Inside the church, there were some. He says, a few, not everybody, but some were mixing together pagan ideas with Christianity. I'm not talking about small minor things, but major teachings of the church. And they were putting them together. And it was causing disaster in many people's lives where they're being led astray from their true loyalty to Jesus. The problem was basically opposite of the church at Ephesus. Remember the church at Ephesus? They had their baloney detectors and they were really good at detecting baloney, but... They weren't very loving. The problem at Pergamum was, at least some of them, a few of them, is like, you can do anything. It doesn't matter. They had lost their baloney detector entirely. They just put it away and didn't even use it. We need to be careful. We need to be discerning of what we're being taught and what we're taking in. Um, there are people here uh, in, in, our own, in our own culture who want to, they think they, we need to improve the church and improve the gospel and certainly there's a lot of imperfections in every local church, but the gospel cannot be improved. It's just the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're saying, well, we need to kind of remodel Christianity in a different way, and they're, they're including different ideas and, and strains of things that really aren't from the scriptures. And so what they think they're doing is a house remodel that looks like this. It's like, you know, Christianity's kind of beaten down and so forth, we just need to remodel and make it look like this. But what actually they're doing is more akin to this. They are removing load-bearing walls. They're removing things that Christians have believed and taught for 2,000 years. And removing them is, is causes the house to crumble. So again, at Valley Church, we major on the majors. We believe the scriptures. On secondary matters, you know, we, are, we understand that godly Christians can disagree, but on those things that the church has believed and taught for 2,000 years, we stand firm. We do not compromise. Here's the question, where is the syncretism, this blending together of two things that don't really belong together in my faith? And the question is, where am I vulnerable to false ideas and temptations to compromise? Where is my heart a little bit, maybe a lot vulnerable, And the statement here is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He calls upon us to examine our own hearts. Where am I vulnerable to false ideas that don't mix with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to temptations to compromise? The message is guard your heart against those. Be very careful about those things in your life and look not to get paranoid, or nitpicky over little secondary matters or to see conspiracies that don't exist. We're not talking about that. We're talking about things that would deeply compromise your faith, vulnerable to false ideas, vulnerable to temptation to compromise. For some who are watching this and being a part of us, maybe you've stepped over the line and maybe your life right now is a compromise of your faith. And Jesus' words, are true for you as it was to the church at Pergamum. He says, so repent, repent. That means to change your mind. Today you can have a change of heart. You can can either for the first time come to trust in Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross. He bled and died to take away your sins, to give you a new life, to give you the Holy Spirit, to walk in the light and in a new, righteous, God-pleasing way. Or for some, maybe you've wandered and you need to just come back and remind yourself, change your mind and believe uh, in that gospel that that saved you however long ago and come to trust and repent of that and change your mind and through the power of the Holy Spirit, see your life be transformed. I just wanna be very tender about this, but I I am gonna say maybe for some of you watching, it's a day of repentance where you really need to say, I need to do business with God because I've been compromising here, I've been giving in here, I've been doing things I know that don't please the Lord, and you need to say, today's the day when I come clean with God, I I confess those things, and I really return with my whole heart to him. It could be a great day for you, um, just like it can be to any person who hears this message. Um, For a lot of you, I think for a lot of us who stray, We're looking for fullness in our life, but so many times it's just the old emptiness that has come back. The fullness of life is in Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I just plead with you to, to know that, believe that, and if necessary, return to that. Last verse for today. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, the one who overcomes all these pressures, the one who does not yield to temptation, the one who is faithful to Jesus, not perfectly, but the course of your life is truly a, as a follower of Jesus. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. God had provided bread in the wilderness for the people of Israel. It was miraculous. And he says, I've got some of that for you, not literal bread, of course, but Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He is the sustenance, he is the power we need. He is the nourishment we need. He says, I'm the bread of life for you. Trust in me, I'll give you some that the world doesn't know about. It's hidden to them, but to you it can be very real. And he says, I will also give him a white stone and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. Um, This white stone was either, um, it's possibly a couple of uh, possibilities here, but the most likely one is that it's a stone that was a ticket to admission to the games um, that you would receive. It's what they use in the ancient world for tickets, a white stone with something inscribed on it. And he says, I'm going to give you a, a white stone that is a symbol of your entry into my eternal kingdom. And it's going to have a new name on it. That could be the name of Jesus that has been embedded on my soul now, the character of Christ, or it may be even a new name that Jesus actually gives to each one of his followers that's special, that's just known to that person and to Jesus. Such a powerful promise of the newness of life that we can have in Jesus. So questions uh, is the area of life is, is pretty simple. It's the motivations for my future. What am I going for? What, what's the motivation of my life? The question is, what is the overarching ambition of my life? And the final statement is Jesus is worth it. It will be worth it in the end. Guys, we've come to the end of this letter to Pergamum. And my prayer is that You will, in hearing these things, look below the surface and find that new direction for your life. And that in every way, God will bless you, we pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this incredibly powerful word of Jesus to the church. And I pray that each one of us would take to heart whatever direction you would have for us and that we would find in you it's so worth it that you're gonna feed us and that you're going to reward your faithful servants and it will be worth it in the end. Encourage every person today with this message, and I pray it all in Jesus' name. God bless you all, and have a great weekend.